0: Well, good morning, church. My name is Ike Nicholson, and I'm the senior pastor here at South Suburban. And if you are visiting with us, we want to extend a special welcome to you. Uh, it, is, uh, a, it has been a tremendous week this past week, and I want to thank all of you for your prayers and your con- and thoughts and, and, and good positive thoughts and energy uh, for Vacation Bible School. Um, I want to, uh, I'm excited about uh, our South Sub racing team. And uh, for those of you who think the senior pastor should wear a tie, I have a tie on. <laughs> it's just under the t-shirt. Oh, I will have to admit to you, my wife and I, we're pretty tired. And I know that those of you who were at BBS all week are pretty tired, too. Um, I, I want to... Uh, uh, we're, today we're starting a series in Genesis, and it's going to go for the next five weeks. And before I read the text... Uh, to you, I want to just share just a couple of things with you. Uh, Gallup Research, which is one of the major research corporations firms in the United States, said that the number one selling book every year is the Bible. Go ahead, because the second line ain't so good. Gallup Research always says, also said that the least read book. Is the Bible. Ain't nobody clapping at that one, Pastor Drew. Voltaire, a 20th, I mean, a 20th century, Voltaire, 200 years ago, a philosopher that lived 200 years ago, wrote, The Bible will be completely extinct in 100 years. You got to think about that for a second. He said it 200 years ago, so his prophecy was false. The great Greek scholar, A.T. Robertson said that if anyone is given an open Bible, an open mind, a conscience in good working order, that that person will have a hard time from becoming a Baptist. (laughs) I was with him right up until that last line. (laughs) And so with all of these great thinkers and great research, turn with me to the easiest text you will have for the rest of my ministry here, Genesis chapter (laughs) 1. And I'm going to begin in the first verse. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Genesis uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We can probably do this from heart. I had to learn it when I was a kid in the King James Version, so sometimes I'll slip and throw a thee or a thou in there. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, which is a uh, re-editing of what was called the Revised Standard Version from years ago. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now I'm going to skip down to the sixth day now, which begins in verse 24. Verse 24. let us make human beings in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning, the sixth day. Here ends the reading of God's holy and perfect word. May he add his blessings and his understanding to it. Amen. So like I said, today we're beginning a five-week series on the first book of the Bible. No, we're not going to get all through the entirety of Genesis in five weeks. As a matter of fact, if we're lucky, we're going to probably get through the first 12 chapters. And even in the first 12 chapters, we're only going to be looking at the big stories in those chapters. There's a lot of stuff in the book of Genesis. The book, of course, begins at the beginning. It's what the word Genesis means, beginning, with creation, and it covers a multitude of years all the way up until the time that Joseph dies. Uh, Joseph, of course, is the guy who saved the Jewish people uh, from famine by taking them into the land of Egypt where they ultimately became slaves. Uh, You know this if you've been here the past couple of weeks, because the last two weeks we've preached on that. Our Vacation Bible School this past week was about the time that the Hebrews were in bondage and how they came out of bondage and came into the Promised Land. But when folks begin to read the Bible, when folks want to become a Bible-focused and and Bible-honoring community of faith like you all want to be, the first place we always start is Genesis chapter 1. And so we're going to do that. And today we're going to look at creation, specifically the creation of human beings. Next week we're going to look at the fall, when we rebelled against God. The following week we're going to look at the story of Noah and the flood. And then Pastor Drew is going to preach the following week. I'm going to be at the General Assembly of the Christian churches. And so Pastor Drew will have the pulpit. And he's going to be preaching on the Tower of Babel. And finally, in week five, we're going to explore how God called a man named Abram and his wife Sarai, changed their names to Abraham and Sarah, and how those two became the parents of the Hebrew people. And because you and I have been adopted into that family by the blood of Jesus Christ, Abraham and Sarah are also our mother and father too. Now, although I didn't read all of chapter 1 to you in Genesis, It is probably one of the best-loved chapters in the Bible by both Jews and Christians. Well, and also folks who make baby nursery uh, uh, decor. You know, everybody has that. Noah's Ark and the creation. They're the two favorite things for nurseries. And one of the perspectives of Genesis chapter 1 is how the God of the Bible is compared to the gods of the world that the ancients used to worship. A perfect example is just in those first few verses when the ancients would worship the sun and the moon as gods. Genesis tells us that the God of the Bible is the one who created the sun and the moon. The God of the Bible in every day of creation not only outlines the majesty Uh, the the majestic, creative power of this God, but each day of creation says something about how God is supreme over all of the other pagan and false gods that the ancients used to worship. It's a very specific designation of how awesome the God of the Bible is. My wife and I have a very good friend. His name is uh, Dr. Ralph Hawkins. He used to be a Christian church preacher. He's now, uh, pr- he, he's actually probably considered one of the most respected archaeologists in the world. Uh, he teaches at Avery uh, University in Danville, Virginia, <clears throat> and he is one of the foremost authorities on the archaeological evidence of the Exodus. Matter of fact, he just got back from digging in some godforsaken desert in Jordan, with a big smile on his face. you know When he's filled with mud and dirt and sand and clay, he's happiest. He is considered uh, one of the authorities on uh, not only the book of Exodus, but also the, the book that informs the context of Exodus, the book of Genesis. And one of the things that he says about Genesis is this. He says, quote, "...whereas other religions have their own creation stories, where the gods create through war..." murder, and intense romantic relationships. I had to clean that up just in case we have a mixed house here today. The God of the Bible, the God of the Hebrews, simply speaks. Let there be light. Patrick Henry Reardon is an Orthodox priest and a theologian who was widely respected by uh, Roman Catholics, uh, Orthodox, and Evangelical Protestants, he says what's most significant in this first chapter of Genesis is that sixth day. Because on that sixth day, probably in the afternoon, created animals in the morning, humans in the afternoon, in the afternoon... Reardon says, God had a creative dialogue. A creative dialogue. Now I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. The stars, the moon, the mountains, the oceans, the forests, they all came to be by a word. The one, that is God, who is outside of time and space and matter. That God speaks time and time space and matter into existence and after each day the god of the bible says it was good now in genesis chapter 1 verse 26 the one that we read today god says let us make human beings in our image after our likeness now before i go on let me just confess We could preach about a dozen or so sermons just on that verse alone, and I can't hit all 12, 15 perspectives of that verse. I'm only going to talk to you about one today, and one of those is is how, first of all, how astonishing that statement is, that the God who is outside of time, space, and matter, without flesh, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, creates humanity in time, space, and matter limited in power, limited in space, limited in knowledge, and declares that this creation is in the image of God? I don't know about you, but most days I wake up, I don't feel like God. And then in verse 31, with creation now complete, with the addition of you and me, God ups the evaluation of creation from a number 9 to a number 10 because he says now that you and I are here, it's not just good, it's very good. Let us make human beings in our image. Well, well, if we're not outside of time, space, and matter, if we're not all-powerful, if we're, if we're not all-knowing, other than our mother-in-laws, what is it that makes us... Well, y'all were starting to fall asleep, so I had to wake you up. What is it that makes us like the image of God? Now, this doctrine is called the doctrine of the imagio Dei. The imagio Dei, meaning the image of God. Now the Jewish philosopher Philo, who lived in the time of Jesus, said that what that meant was simply that we are special, that human beings have a special honor in the rest of creation. In the Middle Ages, another Jewish theologian named Maimonides said that our ability to use reason Is what makes us in God's image. And some folks will say that human beings are made in the image of God because we're the only ones who can be creative. I don't know if that's true. We're the only ones with a spirit or a soul like God. Oh, I'm skating out on thin ice now, aren't I? Well, let me just pick, let let me quote the Bible to you. That way you can't get mad at me. You just can get mad at the Bible. Because in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, we read that. Humans have no advantage over the animals, for all is vanity. Of course, Ecclesiastes, you know, he never read The Power of Positive Thinking. (laughs) The writer of Ecclesiastes goes on to say, All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward to the earth. Close quote. That last one is from Ecclesiastes, not me. So see, all dogs do go to heaven. You just didn't know that. It's in the Bible. But seriously, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? I think that there's an internal aspect of that, and I think that there's an external aspect of this. That is, is that there's something within us that I can't really explain very well, although I'm going to try. And then there's something that is outside of us, that is external, that is plain for every single one of us to see. Now, sometimes the best way to understand who we are is to ask our enemies what they think of us. That's a good, that, 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 that's a good tactic. You see, enemies don't care if they hurt your feelings. So they're going to tell you the truth. And there perhaps has been no greater enemy to the human race than a guy named Adolf Hitler Y'all didn't think you were going to come to church and hear Hitler quote it, did you? But here's what Hitler said. Hitler said that the Jews have given the world a false vision called conscience and morality. Guilty as charge, I think. At least I hope so, because I think every single one of us in here would say that, indeed, the Hebrew Bible, through this unique presentation of the worth of every human being because they're made in the image of God that we each have been given a conscience. It's attested by Scripture. It's attested by natural law. That is, is that God reveals Himself in, in, in the world, in, in reason, in logic, in, in nature. Not naturalism, but natural law. They're two different things. You know, I, I don't think any of us would want to argue that even though the word conscience is never mentioned in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, that the concept of the conscience is indeed there. I mean, after all, remember when Joseph was being uh, uh, harassed by Potiphar's wife and what she wanted from him? Joseph did not say to Potiphar's wife, we can't do this because I might get fired. He says, we can't do this because I can't sin against God. In the story of King Saul, when David had been anointed king, and King Saul knew about it and was trying to kill David, the text actually says that God gave David multiple opportunities to take the life of Saul. And each time Saul didn't say, well, I'm not going to kill... David said, I'm not going to kill King Saul because his protective guard might try to take my life. Each time, David says, I will not kill my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. You see, the word conscience, the actual word may not be in the Hebrew Scriptures, it may not be in your Bibles, but I think every single one of us would agree that it is an essential theme in Scripture and in our faith. Perhaps the Bible just sees it as something that doesn't need to be defended, doesn't need to be argued, doesn't need to be articulated because it's apparent to all. Earlier I mentioned to you a guy named Patrick Henry Reardon who describe creation as a creative dialogue, <laughs> Reardon defines conscience as the human mind standing under the authority of God. That's his definition of conscience. The human mind standing under the authority of God. Now, the word conscience literally means con from the Latin cum, which means with, and science, which means knowledge. So the word conscience literally means with science or with knowledge. And in the most earliest use of the word conscience, it literally meant a dialogue where one person conveyed knowledge to another person. But as the word developed, it became to be a word understood of that conversation that each of you at one point in your life have had with yourself. That is is that you have used the knowledge that you know, the truth that you know, to talk to yourself about whether or not you should do something or whether or not you shouldn't do something. That's the purpose of a conscience. You've told your children this. You've told your nieces and nephews this. You've told your children in school this. Listen to your conscience. And so what Reardon says is is that when God made human beings in His own image, out of this creative dialogue, this, this creative conscience, He therefore gave to us a divine conscience, an awareness, an understanding, the ability to decide whether or not we will do the things we should do or should not do. Now, if if this were a lecture hall of a a college or university, we would go on and we would talk about the fall, which is going to come up next week and how that messes up conscience and how depravity comes in. We're not going to do that today. So if you want to hear that aspect, well, even if you don't want to hear that aspect, we still want you to come back next week. (laughs) You see, what Reardon is saying, what the Bible is saying, is, is that because God has the knowledge within his mind that he has given that same gift to us. Or maybe it's really a curse. It's similar to what Pastor Drew said in a sermon several months ago when he said that lots of times in the life of Christians we are going to be confronted with situations where we will either be for something or against something, but we do not have the privilege of being indifferent. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we do not have the luxury of being indifferent. You know, the problem with being made in the image of God is, is we can't escape our conscience. As a matter of fact, for those few humans that do not have a conscience, do you know anybody that doesn't have a conscience? In the medical field, they consider this a mental disorder, they call it antisocial personality disorder. You and I call it a psychopath. And psychopaths are one of the few kinds of people that just simply don't have a conscience. It's a little different from sociopaths. Sociopaths have a conscience. They feel guilt, just not enough to stop their destructive behavior. Or bluntly stated, they feel bad about the suffering of other people, just not enough to do anything about it. Let me say that again. Sociopaths are people who feel bad about the suffering of other people, but not enough to do anything about it. I'm not sure how many sociopaths we have in our culture today. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Well, the conscience is the internal aspect of what that means. But there's also an external aspect that's informed by our conscience. That is, is, being made in the image of God is a calling. It's our purpose that God has given to each of us. God has called you and me to be his image bearers to all of creation. We are His representatives. As a matter of fact, God says it right in chapter 1, verse 28. It says, Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Have dominion. Now what does the word dominion really mean? It comes from the word dom, which means Lord. And what does a Lord do? A Lord takes care of a particular piece of property within a kingdom that belongs to the king. you got to think Middle Ages when it comes to that word. But that's what the word dominion means. You and I are lords and ladies. Actually, I'll just say we're all lords. Of that which God has entrusted to be under our care. And that not only uh, is all of creation, but according to the sixth commandment of the Ten Commandments, includes the rest of us who are image bearers. Why? Because the sixth commandment is what? Testing you. Thou here. I'll show you. The sixth commandment: Thou shalt not kill. I got a whole. I got every hand signal you could for the Ten Commandments. We'll teach you that someday. But the sixth commandment is: Thou shalt not kill. Why shouldn't we kill? Not because you have a right to live. You and I have no rights. But because you and I are made in the image of God. Remember that time when you got out of high school and your girlfriend said, yeah, I want to date other guys for the next couple of years, but we'll get back together later? (laughs) Remember that? Remember what you did to her picture in the yearbook? (laughs) Some of you are leaning over to your husbands, I threw away your yearbook. It's no different than when we kill somebody else. We're striking the image of God. Mark Twain, well, he really didn't say this, but he's given credit for it. He says, well, he didn't say, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the part that I do understand. I might say it this way. It isn't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that worry me. It's the part of the Bible that I do understand that terrifies me. It terrifies me. When I see someone who's alone, I'm not, I guess I've quit preaching and gone to meddling here, okay? And so I'll just say it as, I'll preach to myself and you can listen in. When I see someone who's alone, someone who no one else talks to, someone who's afraid, reject it, my conscience begins to have a conversation with me. You? When I see someone who is hungry, thirsty, naked, homeless, It seems to me that the Bible is very clear, that I understand what it says, and my conscience screams out to me. When I know that women and and children are abused and objectified, my conscience reminds me that we are all made in God's image. And this past week, the image of a father holding his daughter under his shirt, laying face down in the Rio Grande, willing to enter eternity with her rather than save his own life. I I don't really I don't I don't care what your position is on how our country should receive other people from around the world. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying, what I'm asking, is when you saw that, did your conscience talk to you? When you saw someone who reflected the image of God, my conscience spoke to me. You know, some things in the Bible are perfectly clear to me sometimes. And it terrifies me. Like Joseph, I respect God more than I do Potiphar. (laughs) Like David, I'm more afraid of God than I am Saul's protection unit. (laughs) But what do we do? Some things in life are complicated, complex, and they demand more wisdom than I'm capable of. But there are some things that I can do. Here's what I can do. I can come to Jesus and I can say to Him, I am broken, I am a rebellious sinner, and I am in need of Your mercy and forgiveness. I I, I can welcome Jesus' embrace just like a child welcomes the embrace of their parent. And then I can listen. I can listen as I rest in the arms of the Lord Just like I used to rest in the arms of my father. And my father would speak to me his wisdom. He would say to me, son, do the right thing. Even if it's not popular. He would say, son, when you mess up, just take responsibility for it. Say you're sorry, don't do it again, and move on. Make a difference in this world, son. If not on the global stage, make a difference in your church. Make a difference in your family. Make a difference in your neighborhood. It's not all that different from what our Heavenly Father says, is it? Our Heavenly Father today is holding you and me in His arms right here in this place. Picture these walls as His arms. And He's holding you. And He's saying to you those things that only your conscience in here. I made you in my image. Now go. Reflect my image to the world. I gave you a conscience. Use it. <laughs> it will be hard most of the time. You will suffer because of it. You will be ridiculed and criticized. But my son, My daughter, who do you love more, me or the world? My daughter, my son, who do you love more, me or yourself? Oh God, we want to love you more than we love anything else. We want to be willing to stand in the midst of darkness and shine your light even though it seems like the world tries to extinguish that light. We want to love the unlovable. We want to hold the untouchable. We want to be your image in this world. We want this church, this body of Christ to be Christ in the world. Our conscience speaks to us. And yet, O God, we fall. But by your grace and your mercy, and because of Jesus alone, we are able to stand again. In the name of Christ.